pleasant good morning to everyone. I'm glad that you've been able to make it through the week. Uh, things continue to go on that, that cause us to be concerned, and prayer is always appropriate for us in regard to the conditions of our world, conditions of our country, and conditions here in our own congregation. We certainly will be thinking of you, Joseph, uh, today, and however things may develop during the day. Let us pray. Our Father, we're grateful to you for this first day of the week, the Lord's Day. We're grateful, Lord, that on this day we can come together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that before you we can offer praise and adoration because you are the mighty God, the everlasting King. You are Lord and you are Savior. You are our Redeemer, our Deliverer, and we look to you and we bow down to offer praise and adoration to you. Father, as we come together as a congregation today, you know our hearts and our needs. You know them much better than we ourselves know them. And so we ask today, Lord, that you be with us, that you grant to us that which we need, that you help us to perceive that need, and that you help us to perceive that grant that you make to us. Help us, Lord, to be a congregation that seeks above all to honor you, to praise our Lord Jesus Christ, and to build each other up in the faith. Father, we pray for all today who have Uh, suffering that they are facing, and especially at this time, as we have been informed and as we have uh, prayed with our brother James, we pray again for Joseph, for his father, for his family. We pray, Father, that you'll bring his father through the day, if it be your will. Now we pray that you'll forgive our sins and open our hearts to your word and direct us and lead us in the way that will bring joy to the hearts of those who follow you, and glory to your name. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. I sent an email uh, yesterday to describe basically what we're going to be doing this morning. Uh, You remember back earlier in the year, uh, there was a January and February this year, do you remember? (laughs) Uh, Back... There was a time when we weren't in lockdown, but before lockdown, we began a theme that I hope that we'll see is not simply a theme. It's more important than a theme. What is the church to be about more than anything else in the world? I can't think of anything that is more significant than what Jesus said when he spoke of the great commandment and the great commission. And when you look to the great commandment and the great commission, you find laid out there in those two texts what we are really about as a community of believers. Because this involves what we started off with earlier in the year. Love God, love one another, and make disciples. That's what the church is about in the world. Now, the question before us today, I think, is how are we as members of the congregation here to relate to one another? I want to take up with some of the things that we have dealt with in the past and build on those. 
We're in the, in the past several weeks, I have tried to bring some thoughts from the Psalms and other passages that are, I believe, very helpful for us, not because they came, not because I selected them, but because that's the nature of them, that they're very helpful for us to know who our God is, who can bring us through our circumstances. It's important now, as we recognize who God is and how God is able, it's important for us to understand who we are. And so, how is it that we as a congregation here are to relate to one another? And I don't know of any better way to speak of that than what Joseph has done in leading us in the song there a while ago, where the prayer is that the Lord would bind us together and bind us together with the cords that can't be broken. Because we have one Lord, we have one God, we have one King, and we seek to be His people. What we need today is an appreciation for the nature of the church. What is the nature of the church? One of the foremost images that is given in the New Testament is that of body. The church is the body of Christ, and Christ is the head. Now, we know that Jesus Christ as head is perfect, but when you and I begin to look at each other, we recognize that we certainly are not perfect. However, that is not to be something that puts us down. What we find is that in the body, we are called to be Christ-like. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, he talked about when Christ is formed in you. To the Corinthians, he urged us to recognize that we are being transformed into the same image of Christ. What is the nature of the Christian life? It is to be a transformed life, Christ being formed in us. Now, uh, remember, as we have looked in the past, and we do it again today as we're trying to get connected with what we've done in the past, remember this basic emphasis that Jesus made when a person came and asked, what is the great commandment? He said, first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They'd ask what the greatest is, and it's as though Jesus said, I'm going to give you the second one. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's where he brings us in on what I want to be talking about today in the next two or three weeks. Recently, we saw a passage in 1 Peter 2, in which Peter urged, love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. In addition to this imagery of body, the church is family. The church is the family of God. And we are to be committed to each other in this family. We are to be committed in harmonious relationships. Notice two words that I've used. Relationships. Notice harmonious relationships. And what I want us to see today is that in the great letter of Paul to the Romans, which has to do so much with God's plan of redemption, the clearest and most detailed account of this in the New Testament, the latter part of that has to do with how we as redeemed people are to live. And I have found three very important texts in that setting that seem to bring out what we want to be talking about today, when I'm saying 
that we should be committed to harmonious relationships. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Romans. That's always good to go to Romans. Let's go to Romans. And let's go first to Romans 15. Now, in chapters 14 and 15 of Romans, there's a discussion about a number of matters that we may call matters of indifference, the eating of meats, the observance of certain days. That was causing a lot of friction. But as Paul was coming out of that discussion, he urged them, welcome one another. Romans 15, 7. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Notice that word welcome. That word can be translated as receive. It can be translated as accept. And it's very important to see that in this setting, Paul is speaking of us as members of a family who welcome one another, love one another. He urges in the similar context there, love one another with brotherly affection, brotherly love, family love. So uh, we learn to accept, to welcome one another. Now, when he urges us to welcome one another, he provides for us an example that I think is basic in understanding that. He said, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Or if you want to put it another way, accept one another as Christ has also accepted you. Now, when we look to Jesus, Jesus calls us, come to me. That call goes out to us. And his critics were amazed that this man came, uh, calls sinners. Well, Jesus said, I came to call sinners and not the righteous. Jesus invites us, come unto me. Jesus invites sinners, the critics were saying in Luke 15. But Jesus calls us, Jesus invites us, and then Jesus unites us together as one family, the one body of Christ. And the goal of all of this, here in Romans 15, verse 7, is, notice, for the glory of God. Now, if you recall last week, we looked at Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. God's word declares the glory of God. Then, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be acceptable unto you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. So, our goal is the glory of God. That's why we exist as a congregation. To glorify God. Let all that you do be done to the glory of God. That he may be glorified in the church by Christ Jesus. So, accept one another. Now think about it. Look around. Accept one another. We don't accept one another because of our educational background, because of our ethnicity, because of our nationality, because of who we are sex-wise, male or female. We accept one another because Christ has accepted you. He's accepted you. He's accepted you. He's accepted me. And those whom Christ has accepted Paul says, you accept one another. 
Now, how this would do away with a lot of friction, you can understand, I think, quite easily. It describes something of our fellowship, and I want to say one word about that for just a moment. Fellowship. Fellowship is our association, our participation together. And if you can imagine for just a moment the cross, there is that vertical pole. The cross, there is that horizontal pole. And to a great degree, that's what our fellowship is like. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, John says. That's the vertical fellowship. And then he says in verse 7, we have fellowship with one another. But our fellowship with God is really what determines our fellowship with one another. And so that's what Paul is urging then, to accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Now, accepting one another is the basis for relationship. It is the basis for a meaningful relationship. If we really want to have meaningful relationship, it begins with accepting one another. So, relationship. And that brings me to another text here in Romans. The first one we saw, Romans 15, 7. And then this one that we find in Romans 12, verse 16, repeated again, by the way, in Romans 15, verse 15. The, New, the English Standard Version renders this, live in harmony with one another. Romans 12, 16. In Romans 15, 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another. Now, live in harmony is a translation of a term that has to do with getting your minds determined to accept one another. The way we think about one another. So some of the passages would say something to the effect of thinking about each other. Have equal regard for one another. The New English Bible renders it. Today's English version says, have the same concern for one another. So, live in harmony with one another. And that means, if we live in harmony with one another, the opposite of that is disharmony. The opposite of that is partisanship. The opposite of that is divisiveness. Living in harmony, then, is rising above the idea of cliques, rising above the idea of factions, rising above the idea of divisions. Now, I'm talking about the local, I'm talking about us. We must not permit this to be a part of our relationship. This is one of the things that I have been grateful for, is what I have seen in my association with you. And I'm not... I hope I'm not, I hope you don't think I'm just trying to butter you up <laughs> because I th- I'm frankly, I'm calling it like it is. I have not detected here the idea of cliquishness, of partisanship. We cannot afford to have that. That's what they had in the church at, at Corinth. Uh, and Paul is speaking so much against that when he says, there is not to be that kind of division among you. Now, if uh, if we are to have the right spirit, the right Harmony, 
then it begins with determining we are not going to be a part of any kind of cliquishness, partisanship, divisiveness in the local congregation where we are are beyond where we are. It starts here. So let's, let's focus on that. Now, in that same setting, the passage in, in chapter 12, verse 16, he urges us to be willing to demonstrate humility in our relationship. Do you remember two or three weeks ago we looked at Micah 6? To walk humbly with your God. And Paul stresses the same thing here. He says, associate with the lowly. Have the spirit of humility, not the spirit of arrogance. And uh, Jesus said that the one who would be first among you is the one who is servant. So commit yourself to being servant. Clothe yourselves, Peter urges, with humility toward one another. Now that's a real contrast to what John is concerned about. In Third John, there's this guy named Diotrephes. The only thing we know about him, the only time his, Bible, his name appears in the Bible, as far as I know, the only thing we know about him is he wants to be boss hog. And what John says about him is, he's the one who wants to have preeminence. He wants to be first place. And someone doesn't come along and toe the mark like he wants it to, he says to throw him out of, out of the church. Here's the spirit of arrogance the spirit of Diotrephes. Now, uh, we need to be cautioned against that, but the positive thing that we need to do is to notice what Paul says here. Clothe yourselves with humility. Associate with the lowly. I, I want to stress how important that is in developing the spirit of servanthood, in developing the spirit of harmonious relationship with one another. And he urges then in this that we have that spirit that is always eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. How beautiful, how good it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. That's out of the Psalms. And that's still true. What a beautiful picture when we dwell together in peace, in unity, when we act as one person. While Emily was at Harding, she was a member of the concert choir for four years. And some of you have been in choirs as well, and you know what I'm about to say here, is that a choir may be made up of a hundred people or so. And some may be singing soprano, some may be singing alto, some may be singing tenor, some may be singing bass, but you're not hearing tenor and alto and bass and soprano. You're hearing a harmony that comes. Now, the word symphony is often associated in our minds with something like a band or a group of of instrumental music uh, factor, a a group of musical instruments, I get it straight, a group of musical instruments that are are working together. But that's true, that is a symphony. But the word symphony simply means really with one voice. 
And that's what you hear when there is a good choir. You hear one voice coming through. And that's what Paul urges in the text between verse 5 and verse 7 here in Romans 15 that we've been looking at. What does verse 6 urge? That you all together with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One voice. Now, I don't know that that necessarily means that we get all the altos and the sopranos and the basses like we might in a professional choir. But what it does mean that in the heart and from the heart, there is the harmony and the commitment and the unity so that there is one voice that goes up to God. One voice. Now, in this context of accepting one another, in this context of living in harmony with one another, there is another thought that I want to share with you that I believe comes right out of it as well. And that is that we are to be edifiers of one another. We don't use that word edify much anymore. It's in some of the older translations. The word edify simply means to build up. And so again, going to Romans, and this time in Romans 14, verse 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding, literally building up one another. Build up one another. Each word in that admonition is meaningful. Let us pursue. The word that Paul uses for pursue there, I think is illustrated when you see a hound dog chasing a rabbit. You ever seen that? Something like that? What's he doing? He's chasing the rabbit. He's going after the rabbit. That's his goal. He's after that. That's the word that Paul uses here. Just like the the hound chases the rabbit and makes that his goal, so you and I pursue these matters that he speaks of here. And what are they? He's speaking of how we build one another up, and we do that in a peaceful atmosphere. Let us pursue peace. Peace. As much as in you is. Live in peace with all. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the children of God. I remember years ago, uh, I was visiting with the late W.B. West, who was the dean of the, the actually the founding dean of Harding Graduate School. And he had a a great spirit about him. And and I I was asking, you know, how did this come to be? And he said he had le- read the life of T.B. Larrimore. I don't know if you've ever heard of T.B. Larrimore. He was one of the preachers of the 19th century. <laughs> I might say just a word about that. If you ever go through Sherman, Texas, you might uh, remember that T.B. Larrimore held a meeting there a little over 100 years ago, and it lasted for five months. Can you think of a gospel meeting going on where he preached three times on Sunday, twice every day for five months? Well, I got off the track a little bit here. But what West was saying about Larry Moore is that Larry Moore sought to be a person who uh, wanted to make peace with all, who wanted to be remembered, he said, as a peacemaker. And that's what Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount. 
Blessed are the peacemakers. And that could just as easily be rendered, by the way, blessed are the peace doers. They are doers of peace. And so Paul urges us now, pursue peace. And along with that, pursue the mutual upbuilding, the building up of one another. Over and over again, you have that emphasis made. That's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew 16 when he said, I will build my church. So you and I are in the business of building up that which Christ has built. Paul could say about knowledge, some of them at Corinth thought they really had made it all. They knew, they knew about everything about everything. And he said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Let's be people who build up. It is in, <clears throat> excuse me, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ all for your upbuilding, your being built up. Encourage one another. And build up one another. In Ephesians 4, Paul puts this on a very personal basis. He urged, don't let any corrupt talk, and the word for corrupt is actually rotten. Don't let any rotten speech come out of your mouth. But such as is good for building up. And why? Why do we commit ourselves to that? That it may give grace To those who hear, there is power in words. There is power in the way we say words. And Paul urges, let it all be done for building up one another and not for tearing down. Because in building up, we are strengthening one another. So, Paul urges us then, basically, to become encouragers. In the book of Acts, we meet a man by the name of Joseph. No, not Mary's husband, Joseph. Not one of the uh, sons of Jacob. Joseph. Do you remember it? Well, let me tell you something about him. You meet him in the fourth and fifth chapters of Acts. And he was from the island of Cyprus. You said, oh, you're talking about Barnabas? Yes, Barnabas. But you know what the word Barnabas, his name was Joseph. You know what the word Barnabas means? Son of encouragement. Now, the Hebrews didn't have many adjectives. Uh, When they talked about fertile land, uh, fertile hill on which uh, their uh, olive trees might be growing, they would say it's a hill of fat, you know, because not many adjectives. So when they talked about a person like Barnabas, they could say the, in, the great feature about his life is the way he encourages others. He's building others up. Joseph, he's Barnabas. We need Barnabases in the congregation. Men and women alike can be sons and daughters of encouragement. And that's what Paul urges here as we think in terms of binding ourselves together in the cords that can't be broken. So, the purpose that I wanted to emphasize today is how a unified congregation 
can grow in encouraging one another and can grow in Christ-likeness. We don't have to be all that many. The Lord is not compelled to save by the few or the many, the Old Testament says. But what we can do, what we can resolve to do today, bind us together, bind us together in cords that can't be broken. And how can we do that? Accept one another as Christ has accepted us. Live in harmony with one another. And as we live in harmony with one another, build each other up in the faith, in the love of the Lord. What do you think heaven looks like? When I was at the last lectureship at Harding, there was one session, interesting session, that had to do with where heaven will be. Well, I'm not going to go into all of that right now, but uh, interesting discussion. I'm not really too concerned just where it's going to be. I want to be there. I know it's going to be there. The Lord's going to be there, and that's where I want to be. So I'm not going to get in any kind of argument about just where is it located. So what? If the Lord Jesus Christ is there, if God the Father is there, that's all that counts. Now, what will heaven be like? Let me put a challenge out before us today. What if someone who were not a Christian were to walk into our assembly this morning? Paul envisioned that in 1 Corinthians 14, 25, and he, he was seeing the fellowship and the encouragement, the exhortation going on, and he said that person will, will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now, have you ever thought about this? Is it possible that when an individual comes in among us, he sees what heaven is like? Except for the dismissal prayer. That's the only difference. <laughs> so, let's make our worship and make our glorifying of God and our encouraging of one another be to be like heaven on earth. That's not unrealistic. That's what we're called to be, to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Bind us together, and that binding begins with being bound with Christ, united with Christ. Paul speaks of being united with Christ in baptism, in the death of, in the death of Jesus, in the resurrection of Jesus, bound with him. That's the question then today. Am I united with Christ? And you see there in Romans 6 that Paul says that we are united with him in this death as we are buried by baptism into his death. And the old is put to death and we are raised to walk in newness of life. And may, may the Lord then bind us together in the cords of love that can't be broken. Shall we stand together and sing?